0: This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. There's the short con and the long con. The short con is quick, over in the blink of an eye. Perhaps a three-card Monty or another way of quickly taking all of your money without you even realizing you've been had. The long con. Well, that's a whole different level. It unfolds over time, gracefully, carefully, and methodically. It can take days, even weeks, sometimes years. And then there's Christian Gerhardt's writer. His con played out over three decades and involved one of the most famous and wealthy families in America. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. Christian Karl Gerhardt's writer grew up in the small Bavarian town of Bergen. At a young age, he showed an early tendency for fakery. A childhood friend remembered that in his early teens, Christian prank-called a government office. He said he was a millionaire from Holland and that he wanted to register his two Rolls Royces. Despite being only 13 years old at the time, the clerk believed him. His friend said he played this role perfectly. When Christian was 17, he moved to America. He had met an American couple on a train trip. They hit it off so well, the man said that if he was ever in Connecticut, to stop by and spend the night. A few weeks later, he would do just that. He showed up unannounced at the couple's house. A few weeks after that, he moved again, this time to another family's home in a nearby town. He told them that he was an exchange student who was finishing high school in the U.S. He began his personal reinvention in earnest, dressing and acting like a wealthy European. He refused to lift a finger around the house. He said that it was beneath him. This behavior was too much for the host family, who quickly kicked him out. Reinventing himself again, he changed his name to Chris Kenneth Gerhardt and moved to Wisconsin. In February 1981, he married a woman named Amy, got his green card, and quickly divorced her. Amy's brother in law later said, I think she thought it was something more. After they got married, He was basically gone. This was just one quick stop on his way to California. Christian arrived in San Marino, a wealthy suburb of Los Angeles. He had taken on a new alias, Christopher Mountbatten, Chichester, and integrated himself into the local society. He spoke English perfectly, with a hint of an aristocratic accent. He told people that he was a British baronet and a distant relative of Lord Mountbatten, a member of the British royal family. He also said that he was a descendant of Sir Francis Chichester, who sailed around the world solo in 1966 in his yacht, the Gypsy Moth. Christian soon ingrained himself in the San Marino Society. He joined social and business clubs, including the local Rotary. He was invited to all the local events and the big parties. He was a man perfectly comfortable going up to strangers and making friends right away. Christian had an impressive knowledge of just about everything, from business to politics to art. He could hold a conversation on almost anything. He told people he was a computer expert and stockbroker who wanted to be an actor or producer. He said he was in graduate studies at the film school at the University of Southern California, despite there being no record of him ever attending classes there. Throughout this time, Christian was living in a guesthouse owned by Ruth Didi Sois. Didi lived in the less wealthy part of San Marino. She was an alcoholic and lived a solitary lifestyle. Not long after, Didi's son John and his wife Linda moved in with her. They butted heads with Christian almost immediately, questioning why he was living rent-free in Didi's house and whether he was spending her money. In early 1985, John and Linda. Disappeared. According to a 1995 episode of Unsolved Mysteries, they had told their friends they had been hired for a top-secret job with the government. Family received postcards from Paris, and Didi was told by a source that they were on a secret mission. Months after John and Linda disappeared, Didi filed a missing persons report. She told police that her source was actually her tenant, Christopher Chichester. AKA, Christian. She said she decided to file the missing persons report after her tenant disappeared as well, along with her son's pickup truck. Right now, hope is fading in the search for a California couple who disappeared. Officials say the pair were reported missing last Friday. Three years after John and Linda went missing, Dee Dee passed away. Her house was sold, and in 1994, the new owners put in a swimming pool. A construction crew found three plastic bags containing a partial skeleton, a flannel shirt, and blue jeans. The skeletal remains matched John's characteristics, and the clothes were what he typically wore. In 2010, the remains were officially identified as John Soas. He died from blunt force trauma to the head. After the bones were uncovered, a neighbor remembered Christian asking to borrow a chainsaw around the same time John and Linda Disappeared. Investigators dug up the rest of the property, but Linda's remains have never been found. Three months after the Soesses went missing, Christian drove John's truck across the country to Connecticut. He had reinvented himself yet again. He was now Christopher Crow. Just like back in San Marino, Christian focused on private clubs like the Indian Harbor Yacht Club. Someone later told the Boston Globe he walked into the club like he owned the place and gave everyone the impression that he came from incredible wealth. He always wore shirts with the initials CCC, Christopher Chichester Crow, embroidered on the pocket, and he dressed immaculately. Through his connections at the club, Christian got a job at S.N. Phelps Company, one of the East Coast's biggest brokerage firms. Christian told his new colleagues that he was a former Hollywood producer he said he had made a number of Alfred Hitchcock remakes. There was no reason to doubt him, because there was a Christopher Crow who had produced these films. When asked why a Hollywood producer would want to work as a low-level tech employee making $24,000 a year, Christian said he wanted to try something different. It didn't take long for his co-workers to dislike him. He was arrogant and spoke constantly about his life in Hollywood and his family and mansion in France. He was fired not long after starting when someone at the company did a background check using his social security number. Curiously, it belonged to New York City serial killer David Berkowitz, a.k.a. the son of Sam. But that did not stop Christian from moving to an even better job at a bigger firm. In July 1987, Christian, or rather Christopher Crow, was hired to head the corporate bond department at Nico Securities. It was quickly apparent to those around him that, although he talked the talk and acted the part, he had no idea what he was doing. He was soon fired. It didn't take him long to find another position at the securities firm Kidder Peabody & Company. Less than two weeks after he was hired, the police contacted Christian's boss and said he was a person of interest in a missing persons case in California. The police had linked Christopher Chichester to Christopher Crowe, and were looking for Chechester in connection with the disappearance of John and Linda Sois. They had found Chichester, or rather Crow, when he tried to sell John's truck in Connecticut without the registration. The police waited for him outside his office every morning for three days, but he never showed up. He called his boss and said that his parents, who were spies, had gone missing, and that he had to leave New York immediately. Christian Gerhardt's writer's actions over the next few years are a bit gray. He flew under the radar until 1992, when he reappeared as his final reinvention, James Frederick Mills Clark Rockefeller, or simply Clark Rockefeller. He told people that he was a member of the lesser-known Percy Rockefeller branch of the famous family. So he wasn't ultra-rich, but he was still plenty-rich. He rented an apartment on the Upper East Side and got a dog. He quickly established a reputation as being a little bit eccentric. He also appeared to be paranoid about security and said that he needed to check in regularly with a Rockefeller security office. This enabled him to deflect any question he didn't want to answer. He could simply say that he couldn't answer due to security reasons. In 1993, Christian met 26-year-old Sandra Boss. Sandra was a financial lawyer and a Stanford and Harvard grad. They met at a party at Christian's apartment and were instantly attracted to each other. She said she thought Christian was the most intelligent man she'd ever met. Two years later, in 1995, Christian and Sandra were married in Nantucket. Christian had told Sandra that his mother, a famous film noir actress, had died years earlier in a car crash. However, the rest of his famous Rockefeller family would be in attendance. But last minute, he said there had been an argument and that he disinvited the family. Sandra left all the paperwork associated with the marriage to Christian. He never filed them. Christian's lawyer later said not only didn't they have a license, he didn't believe they had a marriage certificate. Legal or not, Sandra and Christian began married life together. Sandra's career grew rapidly, as did her hours at the office and her salary. Christian said he had a great job advising third world countries on financial matters, but that he was uncomfortable accepting a salary given their fiscal position. Years later, it would be revealed that his job was entirely made up. Over the next few years, the couple fell into their routine. Sandra worked, and Christian enjoyed his lifestyle. They invested in modern art, like Rothko. Quigley and Mondrian. They entertained and ate out often. They went to their clubs. Everything appeared normal, but eventually a few cracks started to show. In two thousand, Sandra left Christian due to his emotional and occasional physical abuse, according to the Boston District Attorney. They managed to reconcile, and Sandra soon after found herself pregnant. In May two thousand one they welcomed their daughter, Ray. The family had now relocated from New York to Cornish, New Hampshire. However, the people in Cornish were not impressed with Christian. He was arrogant and boastful, and in a quiet, understated community, seemed intent on demonstrating his wealth. He would constantly name-drop. One woman later reported that, for a blue blood, he seemed oddly lacking in social skills. Christian was their daughter's primary caregiver while Sandra continued being the primary income earner. In 2006, Ray started kindergarten in Boston, where Sandra's job was located, so the family left Cornish behind for the posh Beacon Hill neighborhood. Christian continued his usual pattern of behavior. He told neighbors that he sold his jet propulsion business for a billion dollars, which is what funded their lavish lifestyle, not Sandra's job. One fellow parent said that he was going to donate a planetarium to their daughter's school. He became a director of the elite Algonquin club and entertained his friends there. By all accounts, he was a devoted and loving parent to Ray, whom he called Snooks. Sandra worked non-stop. In late 2006, problems resurfaced in the marriage. Not long after, in January 2007, Sandra moved out and filed for divorce. The two lived in different locations, and Sandra cut off Christian's access to money. Given she had been entirely funding his lifestyle, he had to sell cars, some of his art, and resign from his club. The custody agreement saw Ray with Christian five days a week and Sandra the other two days. The agreement eventually changed, however, and Ray spent most of her time with Sandra. As part of the divorce procedure, Sandra hired a private investigator. Her father had begun to question Christian's backstory and he did a bit of digging on Wikipedia Instead of dying in a car crash, he found out that his mother was actually alive. Understandably, Sandra wanted to know what else Christian had lied about. Christian Gerhardt's writer needed to keep his history a secret, so he gave up everything. The money, the houses, the art, even his daughter, in exchange for $800,000 and a commitment to stop the investigation. Sandra and Ray moved to London, England in December 2007. Christian was permitted three supervised visits with his daughter every year, eight hours each. For his first visit, a plan was made for the end of July 2008. Sandra and Ray returned to Boston, where a social worker met them and took Ray to visit Christian. On the morning of July 27th, the social worker, Christian, and Ray all went to the park. Christian had hired a driver for the day. He told the driver that he and his daughter were meeting friends for lunch and that they might need to evade a troublesome family friend. As they were leaving the park, Christian distracted the social worker by pushing him. He and Ray got into the car, pulled the door closed, and yelled to the driver, Go! 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 The social worker grabbed the car door and ran alongside, but eventually had to let go. After a few minutes, he and his daughter got out of the car. They hailed a taxi, which took them to a friend's. The friend had offered to drive them to Manhattan, not realizing the intent of the plan. From New York, Christian and Ray disappeared. An Amber Alert was issued. There is more breaking news to share. In fact, you may have just received an amber alert on your phone. It was just issued for our area. Officials in New York are patrolling these waters just in case a father accused of abducting his seven-year-old daughter comes back. Clark Rockefeller allegedly grabbed his daughter, Ray, during a supervised visit in Boston and then fled in this SUV to New York, where they were last seen at Grand Central Station. Police now say they believe he may be trying to flee to Bermuda or Peru aboard a yacht that had been docked here. Police say Rockefeller is known to use a number of different aliases and add they are not quite sure what he does for work or if he even has a valid social security number. Time passed and there was little progress on the kidnapping. Police eventually put out a wanted poster with Christian's photo. It didn't take long before the calls came flooding in. People from across the U.S. called to say they knew the man, but by many, many different names. One of the names that came to the FBI's attention was Christopher Chichester, who was wanted in conjunction with the murder of two people in California. The FBI contacted the Rockefeller family for information. The family was quick to deny any relation. Christian's alias was now officially debunked. The FBI was now heading the investigation, and they found one lead. Christian left his fingerprints on a glass at a friend's house. Shortly after, the results from the fingerprint analysis came in. The prints, not surprisingly, belonged to Christian Gerhardt's writer of Germany. They were able to link them to prints on an immigration document from 1978. Mark Seal, who wrote a book on Christian's exploits, later said the kidnapping, quote, Blew the lid off a 30-year-old con. The latest twist in the case of Clark Rockefeller, California police say they've identified the man behind the mystery as Christian Carl Gerherschreiter, and that he may have been involved in the 1985 disappearance of a couple in San Marino. But in Cornish, New Hampshire, people are still shocked that the man who kept to himself is the same person making headlines around the world. They had gone to Baltimore, Maryland, where he had rented a house under the name Chip Smith with his daughter, Muffy. One of the people who saw the FBI's wanted photo was the real estate agent who helped Christian, or Chip Smith, find his Baltimore house. They immediately called authorities. One week after kidnapping his daughter, Christian was found. Rain was with him and was returned unharmed to Sandra. Christian was charged with parental kidnapping assault and battery, assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, and giving a false name to police. A Boston magistrate has set bail at $50 million for the man who calls himself Clark Rockefeller. Authorities say his real name is Christian Gerhard's writer, and he's been living in the U.S. under false identities for the past 30 years. The German man has been accused of kidnapping his 7-year-old daughter off a of Boston Street in July. Rockefeller pleaded not guilty Monday to charges related to the kidnapping of his daughter. He also says there's no basis for the kidnapping charge because the marriage to the girl's mother was never valid, so neither was the custody agreement. He also has been identified as a person of interest in the 1985 disappearance of this California couple. LAPD reopened the investigation into John Soas' death. In March 2011, Christian was charged with his murder. At his trial for kidnapping his daughter, Christian pleaded insanity. Defense witnesses testified that he had a delusional disorder and was not criminally responsible for the crimes. The prosecution witnesses instead testified that Christian had a mixed personality disorder with narcissistic and antisocial traits. In June 2009, Christian Gerhardt's writer was found guilty of parental kidnapping and assault and battery with a dangerous weapon. Mr. Foreman, what say you as to indictment number 2008-10899, offense 001, charging the defendant, Christian Carl Gerhardt Schreiter, with kidnapping of minor or incompetent by relative, with assault and battery by means of a dangerous weapon, is he not guilty, not guilty for lack of criminal responsibility, or guilty of offense as charged? In the above entitled case, we the jury say that the defendant is guilty of offense as He was, however, acquitted of giving a false name to police and of the other assault and battery charge. He was sentenced to four to five years for kidnapping and two to three years for assault. In July 2011, Christian was transferred from Massachusetts to California to face trial for the murder of John Sois. He was found guilty in April 2013 and sentenced to 27 years to life. At his sentencing, Christian insisted Linda Soas was the one who killed her husband, John. Your Honor, I can only say once again uh, that I I want to assert my innocence and that I firmly believe that the victim's wife killed the victim, but be that as it may, um, once again, um, I did not commit the crime of which I stand accused. Currently, Christian Gerhardt's writer is locked up at the San Quentin State Prison in California. He is eligible for parole in November, 2028. true is a production of imperative entertainment this episode of true was researched and written by haley gray the executive producer is jason hoke of imperative entertainment the cover art and design were created by jenna sullivan True was created and is produced by me. Have any comments or questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com As always, a huge thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode.